Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast and our ongoing study of adding to your faith. If you have your Bible handy, turn with us to 2 Peter chapter 1. And in this Bible series, we've been considering verses 3 through 11, talking about the different spiritual qualities that you can add to your faith. My name is Brian. Along with me is Jeff. Jeff, Greetings. good evening. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine. Looking forward to another uh, in-depth study. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then we have the man of the hour, the man who's actually been uh, guiding these studies, Alan Hitchin. Alan, great to have you with us again. Well, I appreciate the compliment, Brian. Uh, just studying the scriptures together and trying to come up with the best answers we can. Yeah, and this is a series, Alan, that uh, early on when you started preaching where you are now, where, where all of us worship together, that I found to be very beneficial. And, you know, when we started the series, we talked about this idea of giving all diligence, you know, moral excellence, striving to be the very best servants we can be for the Lord. And then we looked at, you know, adding to our faith, virtue and knowledge and self-control, perseverance and godliness. And uh, that's kind of where we left off last week was, was godliness. So you want to give our listeners just a, an idea, maybe kind of a little bit of a review of what we've talked about so far, and then we can get into brotherly kindness tonight. Yes. Uh, as, as all of us remember, if we've been doing this from the beginning, this is a section that is a, a unit starting in verse uh, 3 and going down all the way until uh, verse 16. And it is a personal comments by Peter. Matter of fact, in beginning in verse 12, he talks about his own feelings that I won't be negligent to remind you about these things, even though I know you, uh, excuse me, even though you know them. So it appears that Peter felt that these qualities, these seven things that we could add to our faith, were of such uh, immense significance to the Christian and, and so helpful to the Christian that he said, I'll, I'm going to remind you and remind you and remind you. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't repeat itself very often. But in verses 12 through 15, Peter says three times, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you so that you can remember. And so this is this is something he thought was very important. As we noted in beginning in verses 3 and 4, he talked about how God did so much for us. He created us. He gave us this beautiful world. After we sinned, he developed the gospel plan of salvation, sending his son to die for our sins and giving us the New Testament scriptures. And so he did his part with grace and mercy and compassion. And then beginning in verse 5, he says, here's your side of it now. This is what God did for you, but to complete the picture, then there's things that you need to do for him. And of course, this is how Paul described working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, that we have some things that God would like us to do. He doesn't want us to stay in the corruption and ungodliness of, of the world. He wants us to grow out of it. So in order to do that, we are to add to our faith and our trust and our confidence and conviction that God exists, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And to that we, to that end, we start adding these uh, seven things. And of course, very quickly, as we saw in our first, first uh, pod, second podcast, excuse me, uh, we talked about virtue. 
which is the intensity and zeal and excitement of somebody who is uh, focused on a specific goal. And so God wants us to leave go all other pursuits. We, we saw this in the parable Jesus gave about finding a treasure in a field and selling everything else and buying the field. And then we see it in application when Paul describes himself in chapter 3 of Philippians saying, uh, I suffered the loss of all things. I count them now to be refuse or rubbish or trash. I don't look back on them with any regret at all. And now I'm pressing on. So to that end, he, he and we gain all the knowledge we can so that we know exactly what God wants us to do. And then we start getting self-control to start making the changes. We learn new things. We have to, we have to change. We have to have the self-control. And then uh, over time, as we get, uh, we start learning more and more. And sometimes you feel like it's overwhelming. And at that point, we start adding this endurance, this perseverance. We look at Job. We look at the prophets. We see the tremendous uh, efforts that these people were willing to go through even though they were opposed and mistreated and all kinds of difficult things. And then last week we spoke a little bit about godliness, our love, our devotion, our respect and awe and reverence of God, which is translated into uh, every waking moment God is in our mind. He's, he's with us, and we see him, and we understand that our conduct and our thoughts have an impact on him, and that's what makes us devout or, or it makes us godly. And so now we move to the next uh, section, which is called Brotherly Kindness. So that's where we'll be uh, starting in our podcast this evening. Yeah, appreciate that overview. Uh, and as always, we would encourage our listeners to go back to listen to the uh, previous podcasts, uh, which at this point, uh, there's uh, quite a number of uh, good material for them to review. But for tonight, since you mentioned, you know, brotherly kindness, you know, at a very base level, you know, just looking at the word, you know, brotherly kindness or brotherly love, again, depending on your translation, you know, it certainly sounds like something that would be, you know, naturally anchored or at least referenced by a normal family relationship. Uh, Alan, would you care to comment on that to get us started? That's a that's a very astute observation. The fact is that uh, the family is, most people don't realize this, but the family is God's final act in the creation. If you remember on the sixth day after he had created everything else uh, and the account in Genesis chapter 2 describes Adam alone, naming all the animals and realizing that there was no one among the animals or among anything else in the creation that was was suitable for him. And so God puts him to sleep. After saying it's not good for man to be alone, he puts Adam to sleep, takes the rib, makes the woman, brings the woman to the man, and uh, Adam then says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and for this reason man shall leave mother and father and cleave to his wife. And so the natural affection in the family starts, of course, with the husband and the wife. They fall in love, they decide to start a family, uh, and that family unit becomes a, uh, a unit in which there is love and respect and an allegiance to one another. And so when a young woman becomes pregnant and she is coming home from the from the doctor and she's just so excited. She's deeply, deeply in love. She's never met this child. This child hasn't even hardly started developing yet. And yet 
her love for this new addition to the family is uh, is just a, a wondrous thing. And then she tells her husband, and and the husband starts to fall in love, and they can't wait until the child is born. And as soon as that child is born, uh, it has a, a loving and nurturing and protecting family. And of course, the firstborn child grows up, and then uh, over the process of time, there's an another addition and another addition, depending on the family, maybe, maybe two or three. And maybe more, maybe less. But most uh, families, once there are uh, brothers and sisters in the family, they become very specially tied to each other. There's there's just a love and a devotion and a, and a relationship that they have with one another. And, and that really uh, is the foundation of this term. So that's a, that's a real good observation, Jeff. So, Alan, when we look at the definition of this word, and it might be one that our listeners are familiar with, Philadelphia, you know, according in the Greek, I'm just looking at Strong's, you know, love of brethren, fraternal affection. And so when we look at the definition of the word in, in the Greek, does it shed any additional light on exactly what Peter's seeking here? Yes, there's some really important definitions, uh, not so much this week, but in our in our next podcast when we talk about love. Some languages have one word for love, like America. We in the English language, we really only have one word. We we talk about love, and and that word is very elastic. I can love my car. I can love my job. I can love my wife. But of course, the love of a of a job is very different from a love of a wife. Uh, I can love my family. I can love my hobbies. So, but in the Greek language, there's actually three distinct words for love. And one of them is found in this word, and it's the, the Greek word phileo or philos, and it means a pleasurable love. And by pleasurable love, what that means is, is that I receive some very special feelings of closeness and and uh, nearness and and affection that uh, develops. It's what I feel when I first meet the woman or the man that that we're going to marry. It's the feeling that we have when we uh, develop a closeness. It's a it's an emotional. The one we talk about next week, uh, the the term. Uh, love is is from a very different Greek word, and of course we'll talk about that next week. But this word uh, is joined to the word for brothers and sisters. So this is literally the love of brothers or sisters. And so uh, what God is going to do here is He's going to help us understand that uh, when we become a Christian, of course we're born again. And after we are born again, and we'll look at some of these scriptures in just a few moments, but after we're born again, uh, we become the children of God. Now, if I become a child of God when I obey the gospel, and you become a child of God when you obey the gospel, we both look at the relationship that we have with God. And so I'm a child of God, you're a child of God. Well, what does that make us? And that's where Peter is going to bridge this gap. Uh, God is our Father, and we should have the same sense of comfort and 
and respect and love and devotion to God as we did to our physical fathers. And so this particular word uh, has to be really illustrated and developed by the scriptures themselves, because we all know in a family relationship what it means. But unfortunately, most of us don't have a perfect family. Most of us can't look back on the way we were raised and the way that we treated one another as brothers and sisters and say that I have really developed myself into a, a fine uh, Christian developed in this loving relationship with these new brothers and sisters of mine. And so uh, Peter spends a little bit of time on this. So I'd like, uh, Jeff, would you read 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 22 and 23, where Peter kind of develops this concept. Even before he gets to the second letter, he's already spoken about this topic. Okay. Seeing you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth unto unfeigned love of the brethren, love one another from the heart fervently, having been begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which liveth and abideth. So we understand now from this verse that the purification of our souls, in other words, when we were baptized and God washed away our sins, you remember Paul being told, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And so with the obedience of the gospel, and the immersion in water which joins us to Christ and, and allows the power of his blood to cleanse us of all of our sins. And so when I come up out of the water of baptism, I have a purified soul. Obeyed the truth, have a purified soul, and now there is a goal. And the word unto means that there is a goal that I'm now reaching for. As I said, you obeyed the gospel, and you were baptized, and you purified your soul, I did the same, and so there's a relationship. We have a relationship with each other. We've done the same thing. It's just like when three people uh, enroll in the same school. Well, now they're students in the same school, and they meet each other at school, and they develop a relationship at school, and, and they, uh, they then work together. And so this is an unfeigned love of the brethren. The word unfeigned means I'm not pretending, I'm not acting. It's, it's through and through. It's true, it's genuine. Uh, God is my Father and I love my God. You are uh, also a child of God, so we love each other. And so we have this love of the brethren and love one another from the heart fervently. And then verse 23, he, he, he makes the application we've just been kind of alluding to, and that is having been born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides. So we have been born again. And this is a, uh, a very, very powerful illustration or parable, I guess you could say. Our physical family becomes the parable for our spiritual family. And so under the best case scenario, the same wonderful feelings of love and care. You know, when your brother gets into trouble, you want to stop everything and go help him. When your sister is being mistreated, you want to protect her. When your, your family ties develop properly, 
then we look at our brothers and sisters in a very different way than we do everyone else in the world. And that's what God is trying to do. He's trying to say, uh, bring that same sense of care, mutual care, mutual concern, mutual love and devotion that you have in your family unit and bring that into the church with you. Well, and I appreciate your use of the word best case, because in in many ways, what you're describing sounds very um, inviting, sounds very, you know, good, sounds very attractive, something that, you know, all all families, you know, should be, should strive for, et cetera. Um, But, you know, kind of on the joking side, you know, we know like sibling rivalry and, you know, brothers and sisters kind of squabble and, you know, sometimes your challenges get along. But... I think more importantly, though, you know, there, there's a lot of families out there, um, and maybe even some of our listeners belong to some, that growing up, you know, it may have been a dysfunctional family. I mean, it may have been, you know, single parent, you know, no father around kind of thing, or, you know, a lot of animosity or hostility or just outright strife, you know, within the family between brothers and sisters. And so they don't have that background to you know rely on you know in, in their particular case so w- w- what kind of you know case can we make for those people uh, that, that didn't grow up in that kind of environment to try to learn this sort of love or kindness well that's a that's a situation that we all have to contend with uh, some people are adopted they didn't have a family maybe they were orphans maybe they had a father who mistreated and abused them and they didn't develop these emotions and so they don't have anything to bring from their family into the church and so uh, god has also given us a excuse me a bridge or a series of steps a series of understandings that uh, will ultimately help those of us who did not have uh, this wonderful family relationship still to develop that into the church and it's kind of interesting because as you develop it in the church you will find that it will also start to uh, start to happen in the family relationship also so it's a this is a a very very important uh, uh, situation for us to consider bringing natural affection you know natural affection is uh is is just exactly what it says you know paul says in romans talking about uh, a group of sinful people without natural affection but natural affection again develops the mother to the child the child to the mother father to the child the child to the father and then as the other family members come into the family they they too develop this natural affection but as i said some people didn't have that kind of a home and so Paul kind of developed this concept in Romans chapter 12 when he said that uh, we should not be conformed to this world. In other words, those uh, deficits and detriments and bad memories that we have that have maybe twisted us emotionally or twisted us in our, in our feelings toward people. Maybe we have animosity or maybe we have guilt or maybe we have... Uh, very little care and concern because we just didn't develop it and so god has a specific set of uh, steps that will help us to understand this and and i think that the probably the, the where we should start would be uh, something that john said in the beginning of his gospel so 
Brian, if you'd like to read John chapter 1 and verse 12 for us, I think that that will help start this, uh, these steps back to natural affection. Here it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And here's an interesting concept, because those of us who had a father that was abusive, or a father who maybe uh, abandoned us, or a father who was not really an exemplary father at all, and so uh, now, here I am, God is my father, but father doesn't mean anything to me. Father is not really a term that that is meaningful. Well, then I'm going to have to go through those steps of understanding how a child should feel toward his father. Well, with my heavenly father, you remember Jesus said that if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father in heaven. And so our heavenly father, and a lot of times uh, when Jesus talks about how we should pray, he says, our father who art in heaven. We need to get accustomed to calling God our father. We need to get accustomed to First of all, using those words, and then over time, as we begin to recognize that he begot us again through the gospel, and that we are now, we have now gone through the new birth, and we have a new relationship with God, and instead of just as our creator, he wants us to see him as our father, someone we depend on, someone we love and respect, someone that will always be there for us. And as I said, if we didn't get that when we were growing up, we now have the opportunity to develop that. And of course, it's also based on something else. Uh, Jeff, would you please read uh, Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 4 and 5? 4 and 5, okay. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So... When we obeyed the gospel, well, let's, step, let's go back one more step. When God devised the gospel and started the process of the gospel, uh, he sent his son to be born of a virgin. And, of course, he was born to Mary. And as he grew up, he became the son of God. He was the son of God, and he was a faithful son, a good son, and several times in his ministry at his baptism and and at his transfiguration uh, god told the people this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased well uh, i can understand that emotion i can understand how god would feel i've i've seen enough even if i don't have a father who has treated me in that way as we grow up we see people who do have that relationship with their father and so we start making this transition and now we have a perfect father and jesus and the and god are the perfect father-son relationship and now as a as a christian i look at the relationship that god had toward his son and i realize that uh, that same relationship is now for me and all i have to do is get the emotions all i have to do is get the understanding and start changing the way that i feel and see uh, and so then I, I have been adopted. And, and think about someone who was born into a family. Maybe the parents died. And, 
he is now in an orphanage or she is now uh, on the streets and then somebody meets them and says, look, I'd like you to bring you in, I'd like to bring you into our home. Well, it doesn't happen overnight, but over time, there's a relationship that will develop with that. And that's that's what he's trying to draw from here. So that regardless of what our physical family was like, when we become a Christian, God has given us a lot of information. We have the right to become the children of God and we can receive the adoption as sons. And if we have, then first we develop the relationship with God. But then over time, as we develop that relationship with God and we start looking around at the other Christians in the congregation, we realize, well, so are they. And that's going to lead us to uh, develop a better relationship with one another. And that's when the, the first steps toward brotherly kindness can begin. So, Alan, since God becomes our father when we become Christians, when we're baptized, uh, and Jesus is the son of God, what, what relationship do we have with Jesus? Well, that is a, a fascinating concept. And it seems almost too good to be true. I mean, for, for me to see myself as Jesus' brother, or for Jesus to see me as his brother, here, here, he is the perfect son of God never sinning. He is the son of God in a way that I could never be. But by grace, God has made me like Jesus. And so uh, in the book of Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews is very, very uh, clear that he wants to call us his brethren, and therefore he is our brother. Jeff, would you like to read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, so that everyone listening can see exactly how this develops? Sure. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That's uh, just verses uh, 10 and 11. And so this passage tells us specifically, if you, as you look at the very last words of verse 11, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And so God the Father is the first him. You, you see the him and the he and the him in this passage. Well, it was fitting for him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make their cap the captain of their salvation. Well, the captain of our salvation is Jesus. So the first hymn is God the Father. It is fitting for God the Father, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus suffered to become the captain of our salvation and bring us as sons and daughters of God to glory. And so verse 11, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one. Now this he is the captain of our salvation. So Jesus now has sanctified and we are being sanctified. And so he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them which is us, those many sons, brethren. So once we obey the gospel, we enter into this amazing and wonderful, gracious scheme of redemption that God devised for us. And in the, this wonderful plan, God wants, first of all, to adopt us as his children. 
you know, John makes a point in 1 John chapter 3 that there are children of God and there are children of the devil. And those who act like God and who obey the gospel become the children of God, and those who uh, act like Satan and never obey the gospel remain the children of Satan. You remember Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 8 when he said, You are of your father the devil, and it is his will you want to do. So uh, I don't want to be a, a son of the devil. I want to be a son of God. And so I'm going to obey the gospel. And that's going to open up this new vista to me. I'm now a son, an adopted son. Or again, if you're a woman, you're an adopted daughter. And Jesus is not ashamed to call you and I his brethren, his family, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this, there's just a, a wonderful relationship here. And as I say, it, it takes a few years to develop this, especially if you didn't have it in your own physical home. But over time, we start realizing the tremendous love. You know, Jesus, remember when his mother and brothers were outside and wanting to talk to him, and, and he looked at the crowd and says, who is my, my mother and my brothers and sisters, but those who want to do the will of God? And so he wants us to be his brothers and sisters. And of course, if I'm his brother, just like we, we spoke earlier, if God is my father and God is your father, that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. If Jesus is my brother, and you are Jesus' brother, and another one is Jesus' is sister, then what do we have? Well, we have a family, and that's what we're developing here. So you keep using the word adoption, and I know certainly in a physical or civil sense, that implies a certain process. You know, the perspective, you know, parents go through in terms of background investigation and certain financial things, et cetera. Is there kind of an equivalent um, description in the scriptures for the process that people would uh, go through in order to be adopted? Yes. Uh, the interesting thing about the gospel is it's very repetitive. So, for example, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And so he ties faith and baptism to salvation. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, Go into every nation and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism also makes us disciples. Well, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, Paul kind of ties this together. And keep in mind, this is only about uh, four verses before the verse we were just reading about being, becoming the adopted children of God. And so this is the process by which he does that. And so, uh, Brian, please read uh, Galatians chapter 3. And it's going to be 26 through 29, but I'm just going to have you have you read a couple of snippets out of verse 26 and then out of uh, verse 29. Okay, here it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul is now helping us you know not only is god our father but now abraham also becomes our father 
and this now ties us into the Jewish nation. Of course, we understand from our readings of the scriptures all the way back in Genesis and continuing all the way through to through the Gospels that the Jews considered themselves to be brothers and sisters in a family. They were more than a nation. They were all brothers and sisters all the way back to Abraham. And so they were Abraham's seed, and that developed a very special relationship between all Jews. All Jewish people, all Israelites, considered themselves to be the children of Abraham. And because they were children of Abraham, they, they were considered to be blessed. And of course, as the, even Paul writes here, once you are Abraham's seed, you become an heir an heir according to the promise. Well, God made some promises to Abraham. He said, through your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Well, this is the blessing, the blessing through Christ. So we become children of God or sons of God and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then once we have that faith, remember, uh, John said that those who believe are given the right to become the children of God. It doesn't say they make it makes them the children of God. There's a process here. So uh, there's a specific process. We are sons of God through faith because by faith we have the right to become the children of God. Well, then there's one more step. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. So I understand for some of you that are listening, this, this might be getting a little complicated and a little overwhelming, but it's a, it's a slow process that leads us from being alone. Maybe we don't have a, a good family relationship. Uh, maybe we don't have any emotional ties to people. Well, this is God's steps, process, that will lead us from being alone to having a multitude of brothers and sisters who care and love and are concerned about us, not only those who are living, but those who have already passed on. Because all of those people in Hebrews chapter 11, they are, we have a tie to them. We have a relationship to them. They are the great cloud of witnesses, but they are, we are all the family of God. And so God wants us to understand the relationship that we have with him. So he introduces Jesus as his son. And now he introduces Abraham and says, I have made all Christians the children of Abraham. Well, the first time I read that or hear that, I don't really understand the, the fullness of it. But as I read through the scriptures, this is a very common theme in the scriptures. Matter of fact, Paul had already touched on this back in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. Jeff, would you like to read that for us, please? Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So being a son of Abraham is directly tied to my trust and my confidence and much more importantly to my obedience. You remember James made this point very powerfully and he actually used Abraham as an illustration of it that Faith without works is barren and dead and unfruitful. So God is taking us step by step by step. We call this doctrine. We call this, it moves from first principles to, uh, to deeper subjects. It moves from, meat to, from milk to meat. 
And so over time, this will become a very, very important building block or step toward developing this brotherly kindness. It, it's built upon, first of all, the fact that God is my father, Jesus is my brother, and Abraham is my father, and therefore all the people I read about in the Old Testament, those are my ancestors, that's my history, those are my people, those are my brothers and sisters now. And as I develop that, I start feeling a oneness and a, and a closeness and a and a unity here that ties me to all these people and then they become my peers you know we talk about peer pressure sometimes and and we don't realize that uh, our true peers are God is our father Jesus is our brother and all of the godly people we read about throughout the scriptures those are our brothers and sisters and they're our great cloud of witnesses and so the next time we feel a struggle because we're around, you remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 15:33 saying that uh, evil companionship corrupts good morals. And so this is a relationship in which we as God's people are developing this vista, this realization that all the way back to Abel and all the way back to Enoch and Noah and, and just all the way through, these people are our friends and they are our brethren and we have this family tie to one another. So, you know, it is, it's interesting how God uses Abraham as the father of Christians. And is there, Alan, is there any parallel between how Israel viewed Abraham as the father of the entire nation and those who are adopted into the family of God when they are baptized? Yeah, Paul goes on to talk about that. He actually makes an interesting allegory, I think is what he calls it. He makes an interesting parable, and in, in, it's found in Galatians chapter 4. And he finally draws a conclusion. He talks about Abraham as the father of Ishmael and as the father of Isaac. And he describes the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But for our purposes, uh, Brian, if you'd just like to read verse 28, Galatians 4, 28. Here it says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. So Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. And Sarah's womb, it says in Galatians or Romans chapter 4, was dead. But God worked a wonderful act of power and gave Abraham a son when he really was no longer able to have a son. Well, we're just like that. We are children of God. We are children of Abraham, just like Isaac. God gave us to Abraham, just like God gave Isaac to Abraham. So there is a, a great tie between Abraham and those children that he had who were children of faith, children of promise. And so Paul develops this for us a little bit more in, in Romans chapter 9. Jeff, if you'd like to read Romans 9 verses uh, 6 through 8, we can develop this a little bit more. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel nor are they all children because they're the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So this verse really helps us to understand 
this tie and you say, you might be thinking in the back of your mind what does this have to do with brotherly kindness i thought we were going to have a study of brotherly kindness well sometimes the foundation or the roots of something are much deeper and need a little bit more time as i say those of you who were raised in a wonderful family and already have wonderful ties of relationships and can move seamlessly into the church uh, this will still be helpful to you but those of us who don't have that this is critical and we have to understand God wants it clearly understood that the writings of the Old Testament those are our people and those are our brothers and sisters and so when I read about Isaiah or I read about Jeremiah I'm reading about my brothers my, my people who who were, again, these children of promise. And he makes it very clear that the physical descendancy of Abraham down through the ages was never, ever what God meant when he talked about the children of Abraham. The children of Abraham are not fleshly, but spiritual. So the children of promise are those who, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, put on Christ, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So I'm a child of promise now. You're a child of promise now. Abraham is my father, and all of his offspring are my brothers and sisters, including Christ, and including Peter, and including Paul, and all of the people. And of course, then starting after Christ's death, the Gentiles got pulled in as children of promise. And so now we all have this wonderful, wonderful relationship. And Isaiah kind of captures this. This is a passage that I've always found fascinating. Of course, when Isaiah wrote it, he was only speaking of the faithful and godly people in the Old Testament. But this verse is just as applicable to us as it was to them. So um, let's see. I think, Brian, would you like to read uh, Isaiah 51, 1 and 2? Uh, yes, here it says, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. This is a, a very important passage. And of course, I think those of us who know the Bible well, we, we realize this. Isaiah, or excuse me, Abraham is used three different times in the scriptures, and uh, the first time he it is described that by faith Abraham, when he was called, went out. That's found in Hebrews chapter 11. Then in Romans chapter 4, it talks about Abraham and his unwavering faith when God promised him Isaac and never doubting for a minute that Isaac was going to be born to him. And then, of course, in James chapter 2, uh, he talks about Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. And, and so God is constantly asking us to look to Abraham. You know, those people who work in a gold mine or those people who work in a diamond mine, they understand that uh, the pit from which gold or diamonds is dug from is the place where you want to go if you want to find gold and diamonds. Well, God says here, you who seek the Lord... Now, this isn't gold or silver, it's something more precious. I'm seeking the Lord. How do I find it? Well, the pit from which we were dug is based on Abraham. And so look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. So, 
He's my father, just like God is my father. And Jesus is his son, and I'm his son, and those of you who are women, you are his daughters. And and we have this wonderful relationship. And uh, again, this is this is kind of a complicated thing, and, and we're going to move back now to brotherly kindness. But again, for those of us who don't have a a good family relationship to look to, then we can still understand brotherly kindness just by looking at how uh, the relationship that that God had with uh, different people. Well, now on the groundwork that you've kind of laid over the last several minutes and the relationships that you've described that you know we have to Abraham, to God, to Jesus, and especially each other, you know, certainly sounds like a very fundamental or foundational you know concept you know of the gospel and the way we should relate to one another fellow christians etc um do you have any other verses that kind of expand on this concept and the brotherly affection or kindness that we should have for each other yeah and you know it's interesting because most of those verses are in peter peter has a lot of information about this brotherly kindness so now that we have the foundation uh, that we can build our our wonderful relationship on now that we have the roots that are deep into the soil from which we can draw the sustenance that we need to develop this we can now go to the actual verses that talk about this loving this this relationship and of course the first one we've already looked at and that's found in first peter one and that one is again tying us back to baptism you have obeyed you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth washed away our sins and now we have this sincere love of the brethren if i've been forgiven of my sins and you've been forgiven of your sins we have a tie we have a relationship if i have become a son of god and you have become a son or daughter of god we have a relationship well what do we build that with well look at first uh, peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 uh, and and think about the different relationships that are being described here and, and the emotions that should come as a result of it. Uh, Brian, would you like to read that for us, please? But you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now, or now have obtained mercy. Okay, so let's work our way backwards on this verse. He says in verse 10, once we were not a people. And many of us can remember, especially those of us who were raised in a worldly family and had no contact with the gospel until somebody brought it into our lives. And and we understand the, the stark difference between how we looked at things and how we felt about ourselves and other people before we became a Christian and how we feel now. And so once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. So what's my tie? with all these other people. Well, as I, as I said a moment ago, with Abraham and as our father, we become an elect race, or some other, some translations have you, or a chosen generation. In other words, the generation or, or the race of God's people begins with Abraham, and as we go through the Old Testament, doesn't matter who you choose. You can think of Moses or Joshua. You can think of 
Deborah, or you can think of David and the relationships. These, these people are part of our elect race. And they are also a part of a holy nation and God's own special people. So that makes a tie. That, that's a tie that binds us together, just like a, a nut and a bolt. When you tie a nut and a bolt together and you screw them together, they become a unit holding things together. And so that's how he begins this. And then throughout Peter, First Peter 2 and verse 17, he continues this, this theme and tells us what we should do. Jeff, would you kind of read that verse for us, please? Yep. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, God, honor the king. I think you might make a point here that love in this context, loving the brotherhood, uh, comes from the agape uh, Greek word. That's true. And we'll develop that thought more a little bit later because there is a slight difference between the agape love and the phileo love. The agape love is is what we'll be talking about next week. We're We're still in the phileo love now, but I just wanted to tie this in with that. And then Peter comes back to this Philadelphia or this brotherly love in 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 10. Brian, would you like to read that for us, please? Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So all of us need to be of one mind. We're all equal. doesn't matter what our social status is or what our relationships were before we become a Christian. You remember Paul saying this, and in Christ there is no slave or free. There is no man or woman. These relationships, uh, although they continue, they... Uh, they change. We're brothers and sisters in Christ now. We all need to have the same mind and have compassion and love and not look down on each other or look up to each other as though one is better than another. We we just need to love as brothers and sisters and be tender-hearted and be courteous to each other. And so, again, here's the commands. Here's how we start putting this into practice. As I said, maybe we don't feel this way about our physical brothers and sisters in the flesh. But this is how we need to feel and how this is the natural affection, or as God put it, you remember in in Genesis chapter 1, he said, let's make man in our image and after our likeness. Well, this is what people in the image of God, this is how that they're going to be they're going to be uh, dealing with this. And and Paul touches on this too. Uh, Brian, could you pick up uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 9 and 10? But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you may increase more and more. So here Paul enters also into this topic. And recognizing, as Peter says, we need to add this to our faith, and and Paul here is reminding the Thessalonians. Now keep in mind, the Thessalonians were a brand new church. Paul came into town, he preached the gospel to them, but then the Jews from uh, other cities came to Thessalonica and drove him out. 
We all know that when Paul came to Thessalonica, he was only able to preach there for a very short time. And then the Jews there stirred up strife and, and got him uh, to have to leave. And so this is a baby church. And yet, even as an infant church that has only had a few short months to grow and develop, he reminds them, we've already talked about this brotherly love. This is one of the first principal teachings of the scriptures, and they already know about it. Concerning brotherly love, I don't even need to write you because you've been taught by God to love one another. And, uh, you know, Jesus captured this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're all taught by God to love each other, to, to care for and have this relationship. And, and Paul even goes on, indeed, you do so love all the brethren in all Macedonia. In other words, this is the interesting thing. I don't have to know these people. If, if I find out you're a Christian, then my natural affection turns on immediately. You know, it'd be very comparable if, if, if you are in your 40s or 50s and you suddenly find out that maybe your mother and father had another child. Uh, but for whatever reason, they put them up for adoption and you never knew them. Well, as soon as you find out, wow, that's my brother. They have the same mother and the same father as I do. Well, you want to meet that person and you want to develop a relationship with that person and you feel close to them, even though you've never met them before. And that's exactly how uh, Christians should be. When a Christian visits a congregation or we baptize someone and they become a Christian, this this brotherly kindness, this natural affection and tie is going to just immediately begin to develop. And if it isn't, then that's where we're, we've got our marching orders. We need to add virtue and we need to add knowledge and self-control in order to develop this feeling so that we do actually feel this way. So, Alan, once we understand our family relationship in Christ and, and we begin to develop these feelings of natural affection, does God give us specific commands about how to manifest this love in the church? Yeah, and that's that, of course, will be our, our final section here. And essentially what I'm going to do is just give you a lot of verses to think about. We, we've already covered quite a bit of material, and I don't want to make this too overwhelming. But I want to give you some references so that you can look at these things and, and think about them as, as they develop. And so... Uh, I like to think about Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 19, where in prophecy, God describes what happens when we become a Christian and what happens when we are baptized. And, and uh, uh, let's read a couple of these. Uh, Jeff, would you like to read Ezekiel 11:19, please? Sure. And I shall give them one heart and shall put a new spirit within them. And I shall take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart flesh. So God's promise is that, you know, a lot of people who come to Christ are jaded. They've been mistreated. They've been abused. They have been, they've become very concerned and, and they, 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 they need some help. Many broken people come to the gospel. And God promises that when you're baptized, I'm going to take that stony, rocky heart out of your flesh, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Well, how's he going to do that? Well, exactly as we just described. He's going to tell us that I'm your father now, and I'm a different kind of father than any father in the flesh who maybe wasn't the perfect father. And Jesus is your brother, and he is your faithful brother, even though you may not have had a, a faithful brother or sister in the flesh. And I'm going to give you 
reasons to change the way that you see things and and develop this relationship with each other and then very quickly uh, as as Paul develops it in Romans 12:15 rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep this is very characteristic of a family relationship when my sister or brother is crying uh I feel for them. Well, that moves into the church. And even if I didn't feel that way for those who are out of the church in my physical family, I learn how to have enough care and concern. You know, we call it empathy or sympathy, the ability to feel with other people. So we rejoice with those that rejoice. We weep with those that weep. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, we bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And then Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So here's just a, a broad brush of things that brotherly kindness, as I add brotherly kindness to my faith, what will the fruits be? Well, first of all, I'll have a heart of flesh, and I'll feel these wonderful feelings of natural affection when something bad happens to one of my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'll, I'll, I'll weep with them. When something good happens, I'll rejoice with them. I'll feel with them, and I'll, I'll help them with their burdens because I care about them, and I'll, I'll be kind to them and tenderhearted and, and forgiving. And so we're developing now this wonderful relationship that uh, brotherly kindness will bring to us. And again, it's it's a very fulfilling thing. You know, the gospel starts with intellectual assent, but very quickly it moves to emotional commitments and emotional, and, and it's very satisfying. It's just a very, a, pleasant, a very pleasant experience when we develop this brotherly kindness, when we come into the assembly and we worship with our brethren and we feel good to see them. Well, and as you're describing it, in many ways it's, an emotion, but in many ways more than emotion because it actually prompts us into action and behavior and attitude. And, you know, it sort of seems like God wants us to be, you know, within a, you know, a loving, united, you know, group of people, you know, within uh, fellow Christians in general, local congregation in particular. Um, but are there any other applications uh, that you can uh, offer our, our listeners where God that God makes regarding this kind of uh, love and concern. Yeah, there's there's a lot of of applications that we can make here as as we think about the various commands that God has given to us uh, in John 17 when Jesus talks about unity that we may be one as He is as they are one. So we have a Father Son relationship with Jesus and God. And now we have a father-son, brother-sister relationship with God and Jesus. And therefore, we're a united family. We believe the same things. We practice the same things. We hate the things God tells us to hate. We love the things God tells us to love. Then uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16, just admonition after admonition. And if you have your, you know, probably be a good idea for you to have a pen and paper for the rest of this podcast, because I'm just going to give you some scriptures to think about. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16, he talks about this tender affection and preferring one another and respecting one another. Romans 15, uh, verses 1 through 6, the strong are bearing the infirmities of the weak and not just pleasing ourselves. And 
Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, and 9 and 10, bear one another's burdens. Those of you who love one another, you, you treat each other with this same respect. Uh, Philippians 2, 2 and 3, be of the same mind, the same love, the same care and concern for one another. Then, of course, those passages in Peter, in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, and chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, where he talks about the fervency of this love and this this tremendous power that it brings. As I say, when we obey the gospel, we're obeying laws and we're forcing ourselves. We need the self-control, but over time, it becomes the natural response and it becomes an emotional thing. And in some, in some respects, it becomes much easier when we feel like this is the way it ought to be and, and the emotions just flow for us and we don't have to force it. And we develop these relationships, and and we develop this uh, brotherly kindness. You know, it's interesting how <clears throat> we're told over in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, of course, that the Lord adds to the church daily those who are being saved. And so, you know, really, in essence, God has drawn a circle around those in the church. And uh, Alan, it's kind of interesting also how, you know, even if we have never met somebody before, you know, if, if they've been baptized, then really they become part of the same family that, that we are a part of. Yeah, and and that is exactly what brotherly kindness is. As I said a minute ago, when a woman finds out she's pregnant, she's already got this brotherly kindness, this natural affection, this family affection, whether it's a son or a daughter. And then as that son or daughter grows up, they develop that natural affection toward their mother and father. And now God wants us to bring that into the church. And even if we didn't have it in our physical family, we now have enough information that we can develop it if we choose to do so. We don't have to be locked into this jaded aloneness that so many people in this world feel. They don't have a family, don't have friends, they don't have people that care about them. And they come into the church and it's really tough to get near them because they are very jaded and, and very uh, uh, concerned, maybe even feeling a sense of, of distrust. But over time, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 10 and 13, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another and distributing to their needs, the needs of the saints, and also being given to hospitality. We want to have people in our homes. We want to spend time with our brethren. We enjoy them. And Hebrews says the same thing in Hebrews chapter 13, let love of the brethren continue. And so, as I say, brotherly kindness is a huge concept, and it's, it's very difficult. You know, uh, when I was younger, I used to say God doesn't command emotions. He only commands intellectual assent. But I've really rethought that, and I think this is one of those situations where God has commanded emotion. Well, uh, sometimes it's hard to manufacture an emotion when God says, I want you to have this, this sense of brother and sister love toward one another. Well, I may not have any ability to do that. So that's why I've, I've taken a step-by-step step through all of these different things. God is our Father. We are adopted into God's family. Not only are we adopted into God's family, but we are also adopted into Abraham's family. 
And like Isaac, we too are children of promise. And all of those people we read about in the Old Testament, those are our brothers and sisters. And and we should develop a relationship. And of course, as we relate, develop a relationship with all of these wonderful godly people that we read about in the scriptures, we start to realize that the church has the same relationship. And over time, and it may take years, like I say, if we if we didn't have a perspective to start with then it it we you know we say in our in in america here you have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps well that's pretty tough since those straps are on the ground you pull yourself up by those straps on the ground but sometimes that's what you have to do and so god has given us uh, this wonderful opportunity and let me just close with one other verse and that's found in galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 brethren so he starts with brethren brothers and sisters in christ even if anyone be overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Well, who's he talking to? He's talking to brethren. And so when my physical brother or sister gets into trouble, I want to help him out of it. I have a very special... Uh, need in my heart because we have this tie together and now I'm bringing that into the church and once again if you don't have that tie in the physical realm you still need to bring it into the church and and when people do things that are rude and obnoxious and we tend to want to not be forgiving well any trespass if we're spiritually minded we're going to restore them in a very wonderful spirit of gentleness, just like we would anybody that we truly care about and, and want to be helpful to. So I, I really hope, as I say, I, I know that this is a broad subject and we've covered a lot of material and maybe you're going to need to listen to this uh, again because it is big, but it's a big concept that brings big rewards and big wonderful blessings and makes us very useful, meet for the master's use, and prepared to do every good work. And so I would really encourage all of us who are listening to this, who really want to have a, a, an ability to be useful to the Lord, to really cultivate and develop this brotherly kindness. It, it's just as important as the godliness we talked about last week, this emotional connection with God. Now we develop an emotional connection with all of those other people who have been baptized into Christ and who are now our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, Alan, certainly appreciate uh, you bringing all this material to us. And, you know, certainly in many ways describes not only a wonderful relationship we have, but admittedly there's also some responsibilities as you've kind of been uh, referencing as we go about, you know, certainly within local congregations, you know, it's it's not like we should be, you know, strangers to one another. You know, just show up for the assembly, and then as soon as the amen is sung, you know, we're out the door. Right. You know, there needs to be that kind of a close, ongoing kind of understand each other and, and where we're coming from and, and growing together, so to speak. Um, and since you mentioned there is a lot of uh, ground that this particular podcast covers, let me suggest our listeners go to our website at biblequestions.org. If you look under the lessons menu item, you'll see a category called Christian Living. If you look under that, you will find Adding to Your Faith, which will take you to a web page that has a number of downloadable uh, PowerPoint charts uh, that you can actually 
you know, look at, uh, see the scriptures, you know, read and study them for yourselves. And it just so happens that one of those happens to be today's topic under brotherly kindness. So I would strongly urge our listeners to avail themselves of that. Ayan, as we kind of wrap up for today, would you like to give our listeners a preview of next time? Sure. Next class is going to be a little overwhelming. It's going to be a podcast which, as as Paul says, it is the bond of perfection. Agape love is, is the bond of perfection. When Paul says in Galatians or 1 Corinthians 13, now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then as John points out, God is love. And he that loveth knows God and is of God because God is love. So we're dealing with a quality here that is of supernatural. It is, it is spiritual. It is not something that is intuitive. Matter of fact, one of the Greek writers made a very interesting point. You don't find this word used by Greek philosophers like Aristotle or Socrates or Plato. This is a word Jesus took from the Greek language. It's Greeks had no use for it. They didn't think it had any value. And Jesus said, this is what God is. And so we're going to have to really develop a, a wonderful understanding of this particular term and and it's going to be an exciting class but again you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and be ready to work because it's pretty deep and pretty involved thank you appreciate that and likewise you know appreciate your the time and effort that uh you know you're putting forth to uh, acquaint our listeners with these very deep subjects um brian i guess i'll toss it over to you for any sort of final comments you might have well that that wraps it and appreciate your time alan this has been a great series look forward to uh, looking at the next spiritual quality and hope our listeners will tune in then as well thank you for listening to this edition of the bible questions podcast we invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of bible topics along with about two dozen free bible study lessons and other bible study aids plus you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at BibleQuestions.org.